Today's episode of Peers to Peers is powered by Shopify, the leading global commerce company that's shaping today's entrepreneurial economy. What started as three mates in a coffee shop trying to sell a snowboard has ended in thousands of employees around the world, bringing over 1.7 million businesses to life. You could say Shopify is a peer to us and entrepreneurs around the world. So peers, if you're looking to start your own business, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Big news, peers. It's our fifth year anniversary and we're so excited to be celebrating by running a London podcast tour and interviewing the most influential entrepreneurs that London has to offer. Cheers to five years, peers. We hope you enjoy. Steph, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show as our first guest of our 2022 London podcast tour. Thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to finally meet you. Yes. Oh my goodness. So, you know, you and I connected early last year and just as you said, you know, we've been trying to make this happen for the last year and a half, haven't been able to do it, but here we are in London town having a chat at the London edition. It's just so, so cool. And I really appreciate you taking the time, Steph. No worries. I mean, I get to chat for my job, so I really don't have a problem with this at all. (laughs) I love that. So for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm the founder and author of Fuck Being Humble, which I say with a lot of pride. And Fuck Being Humble is a business that helps people be unapologetically proud of their achievements and get over the fear of self-promotion. That manifests in a way that I'm a public speaker. So I deliver speeches to businesses, employee training, keynote speeches, motivational talks. But I also deliver workshops and talks to the community that I've sort of grown. And that can be anything from how to negotiate to how to network. It's really just making sure that people have those soft skills and really the skills that I believe are the ones that advance your career the most that we're not taught enough about. And a big focus for me is basically making professional development not shit because I think so often it's just so dry and boring and it's delivered in a PowerPoint that's got terrible clip art in it and it's just not been my vibe. It never has been. And I think there's a way that we can storytell and communicate learnings and advice and tips on how to develop your career in a way that people genuinely relate to they find it relevant and it's funny like I like to think I can be funny with my presentations and I want to bring that through because I don't think growing our careers has to be something that's so serious and so intense it can actually be something that we really look forward to doing oh Steph you blow me away I just I couldn't agree more you guys can't see me or maybe you can on some of the videos but I've been nodding along as you've spoken through that and I think this is why I was so excited to have a chat with you today but before we dive into your work and what you do I'd love to start with asking a question they often find to be very insightful and revealing and that is where did you grow up and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? That's such a good question. And I actually talk about it on my CV, so it it definitely has. So I was actually born in Madrid. Um, We lived there when I was younger. 
all my family can speak fluent Spanish and I can't, sadly. So we lived there for a few years whilst until I was about two. Um, and then we came back to the UK and we lived in Leeds, which is the north of England, if you're not familiar with it. And, you know, Leeds is, you know, one of the top five cities in the UK. It's got a lot going on. Uh, we lived there for four years and then we moved to New Jersey in just outside of New York. And we lived there for two years. And then we moved back to the UK and we lived in Leeds again until I was 18. I mentioned before my dad lived in Singapore and Hong Kong when I was 18. So I used to go out and see him a lot during, you know, my time whilst I was at university, but also for the past 10 years sort of thing. And and he also moved to Paris. So he was there as well um, after that and eventually came back home. So I would say the majority of my life has been in the UK. But I was super fortunate to have lived in different places growing up and it massively affected who I am as a person. I think it helped me to adapt to new people and new environments. It gave me that zest for life of wanting to travel and see more and do more. It makes me want to go live abroad, you know, in the next 10, 20 years. You know, it really did allow me to see what's possible and to see that there is a town outside of my own town, which I think very often people don't always get to experience, particularly at such a young age. So it's definitely influenced. And, and also just things like my want to travel with work, like we were just talking about coming to Australia or going to speak in New York. Like that, I think that massively was influenced by growing up around the world as, as a child. It's just so true. And I think I personally resonate with that so much, having done a little bit of travel myself. But I think what's so interesting about your story, Steph, is that it was two years stints, three years stints, you weren't even born in the UK. You know, I think, what do you think being born in a place like Madrid, for example, and, you know, with a family that does speak a different language, but obviously English is the first, what do you think that taught you at a very young age about how you see the world? And I guess more so than that, how you identify with different cultures and kind of ways of being? I think I have a a real big fascination with different cultures. I love to travel. Like it's a a running joke that I'm like four to six holidays a year like it has to happen and that can be a mixture through work or travel and it's weekends here or it's two weeks there but I really do live to to holiday like I work to holiday that that is what I do like it's I think that's part of living in London as well like there's so many great things about living in London but you do need to have regular breaks because it can get quite intense so yeah I think you know just I have an absolute love to travel it's it's a huge part of my life and when I think about growing fuck being humble as a business I always knew London was going to be the market that I need or the UK that was going to be the market that I needed to crack because we're one of the toughest to convince that self-promotion is important. But I get so excited about the thought of of growing for being humble as a movement all around the world. It's something that I like really strive to to want to achieve. So I think it it absolutely has influenced that desire to do that. And I think it's something that I would like to pass on to my kids and the people around me because I think it is just such a privilege to have got to experience so much in my life so early on that I think it's definitely set a sort of style or or expectation in a way that I want to be immersed in different cultures and I want to meet different people and I think what's been super nice obviously London is such a diverse city that when I do host my talks you get such a range of people attending I had two sisters come to one of my events recently who were like 
Uh, we're from uh, South America. We absolutely love your book. We're obsessed with you. We've sent 10 books of yours to back to our family. Like I had to bring my sister today because she hadn't met you or been to your events before, but we love you. And like that for me, obviously, like I'm not emotionally stable when I hear these things. I'm like, oh gosh, I like well up. Um, but that for me is like such a, a nice sort of reminder that the message is so universal and that actually there is so much potential for fuck being humble to land well around the world, which I'm really excited about. It's so exciting, Steph. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, this idea of expanding your mind and kind of getting yourself, putting yourself in different situations so that you can create these new opportunities. You know, for our peers out there listening who maybe they haven't, you know, been as lucky to be able to travel around and and see places they want to see and really expand their kind of perspective. What advice would you give to us around getting a greater perspective, understanding who we are, And, you know, how can we go about doing that if travel isn't an option for us? I think it's such a great question. I think actually the last two years, that meant it wasn't an option for us. It was so hard for so many people not being able to see family, not being able to have those breaks, not being able to get around. It was super difficult. I think, you know, more locally in your areas, like I'm such an advocate for networking, like networking has genuinely changed my life. And I also want to say that like, when I moved to London, I had zero contacts. I had nobody backing me. I didn't have an uncle that worked at Vice Media who could open a door. And I didn't have any photographers in my family or cool creative ad agency connections. So every relationship I've built and all the amazing clients I work with and everything I've grown has been absolutely through the want and desire to build a network and to create something for myself and to explore new things like you said and I used to go to networking events like three to four times a week it was it was kind of part of my job when I first moved to London I took on a role in new business and I'd never really done it before and I was having to generate new business and I know that the best way I connect with people is through meeting them rather than sending out cold emails and all those things. And so through doing that, what was so amazing was that I was going to so many different networking events. It could be one about feminism one night, the next day it could be something about technology, the next day it could be something about food and nutrition because I was you know, searching for any sort of clients that we could work with. And I think I've had so many amazing experiences, like gone to one talk and my mind's been completely shifted or met one person who said one thing about someone they're caring for. And it's been like, gosh, I never saw things like that. And I think sometimes you don't have to travel. There are events, there are things going on in your vicinity that you just need to be more open to experiencing and exploring. I think we can get really static and stuck in our ways and and kind of like, just do what we always do when actually like there's, I mean, particularly in London in a, in a big city, there's so much stuff you can do. But I think one thing I would say is that like online as well is so huge. What we've seen was, I know I personally had to move all my events online during the pandemic. And when I start off my events, I'm like, right, everybody introduce yourself in the chat, introduce what you do, share your LinkedIn profile, self-promote. This is what you're here for. And I've seen people literally generate work off a chat feed in one of my Zoom events. So I also want to encourage people who are listening not to see location as a barrier because I think one of the blessings of the pandemic was that it really did break down locational barriers and it's really opened up doors for people to be able to sort of connect with people that they never had before. So I think that's super important. But yeah, I I think sort of 
always be open to being a sponge. Like I, I, you know, a lot of people said, someone asked me recently, like, how would you mark yourself as a public speaker? Do you think there's room to improve? And I was like, always like, as absolutely, you know, I n- never feel like I'm going to be perfect at it. I, I know I'm good at it, but I think with all things, like I'm, I've definitely been someone who's always been quite inquisitive, whether it's watching things, going to exhibitions, going to stand-up speaking events, you know, all these different things, trying to immerse myself in different spaces. And it's always influenced the work I do or the direction I go in. So, yeah, I think it's so important to experience new things and and really make sure that that becomes sort of something that you are intentional about rather than letting things come to you because I think that's when things can get stagnant. And I actually think it's really important that you seek out those moments of inspiration because otherwise it can feel quite repetitive, you know, your day-to-day. When was there a time where you felt stagnant in your career, like you'd plateaued, like you were just over it, you didn't want to wake up on Monday and you were waiting and holding out until Friday? You know, was there ever a time where you experienced that, Steph? And how did you navigate through that? I'm smiling because I move jobs quite regularly. So there was definitely multiple times that happened. I think one of the hardest experiences for me, which I've talked quite publicly about before, was my first ever job. I got a job straight out of university, which was quite rare. I think four of us graduated with a job. And it was just a really bad sort of time for job applications and trying to get a job at that time. And I worked for a small agency in Nottingham, where I studied. And the boss was just, just not okay. Like it, he was abusive. He swore at us. He was, I mean, at one point he said to me like, you're not worth the the air that I breathe. Like he was not a good piece of work. It was awful. And it was like coming home crying, not like dreading getting to Friday. It was like, it was every night crying. The Sunday scaries were the most real thing you've ever experienced. And I think one of the hardest thing was when you are so junior, you don't know that it was really unacceptable. And this was also 10 years ago where we were not talking about mental health as openly as we are now. We weren't calling out behaviors. We were accepting things. Hierarchy was such a big thing. And I stuck out that job for 11 months. And, you know, my mum was actually always really supportive and was really like, I don't, know how much longer you should be in this like and it was getting to that point where I have always been quite a confident person but I could feel my confidence eroding during that process and eventually I sort of plucked up the courage to apply for different jobs but I constantly had that thought in my head that well I've only I've not even worked there for a year and you know people always say no one's going to take you seriously and all that stuff which is complete BS I think now to be honest And I got offered three jobs and two were in Nottingham and one's in Manchester. And I remember my dad saying, there are bigger things for you. Like move to a new city, go do this, like go try something. And I like really value him saying that at that time because I think I'd lived in Nottingham, been to university there, done that, but it was time to start a new chapter. And I'm, I'm so proud that I did at that point because I think what that experience taught me was that I won't settle to be treated badly. And I got to learn that at 22, you know, in my career, which is pretty much why I did move jobs regularly. And I had such a thick resilience. I think following that experience, I was like, any boss that comes at me, I'm like, let's go. You'll never be. When I handed in my notice, that boss threw a book at me. Yeah, it was really bad. Wow. It was really bad. It was not, it's not, it was Shocking. not acceptable behavior. There was no HR. There was no, 
no support. I think any anybody can validate who I worked with that they could also back that up. Everybody left the company. It was it was a really top it was toxic before toxic was even expressed as much as it is now. And yeah, I, I honestly like, you know, some things you wish you hadn't have gone through, but the reality was like it made me such a stronger person in the workplace. I think I advanced quicker because I was able to either leave rooms when I didn't feel the respect I was deserved or I was able to assess situations and go, do you know what? The grass is greener in other places and I trust my gut that I'll go find that. So yeah, one of those experiences that you wouldn't really wish upon anyone, but also I think with anything in like that in life, it just teaches you what you never will be. You know, it teaches me the boss that I would want to be or who I'd want to come across as or how I can be more empathetic to people is like by no way influenced by their behaviors you know the work the things that I want to adopt but the things that I definitely don't ever want to be I had experienced myself so I think that has really helped build that resilience and thick skin what do you think is the value of building resilience in business you know I want to dive a bit deeper into your entrepreneurial journey for our peers out there listening who are just struggling, I mean, I literally think back to year two, year three of business. It's our fifth year anniversary. We made it. But, you know, it was just a nightmare. It, it was so, so tough. And the resilience required was just so much. But, I mean, what would be your thoughts on that when it comes to starting out on your own? I mean, I obviously made my life slightly harder by building a challenger brand that has a swear word in it. <laughs> And using a statement that nobody in the world is saying and goes against complete societal norms and expectations. So when I say I've built resilience, I think that was probably how I was able to start such a provocative brand at the time at 25 because I was so ready to take it on. I was like, okay, we can do this. So I think in general in business, it's honestly one of the most important skills to have because we can take things so personally uh, right to the point where like I literally had a conversation with someone the other day and they said, you know, do you mind not saying this, your swear word? Do you mind if you say F like F being humble, which is what I've been asked so many times. Two years ago, I used to, I would have got so angry about that. And now it's kind of like, no, I understand it. It's business. And this is what you have to do to get on board. And I think a lot of when you build something by yourself or on your own and it's your baby, you have such a personal attachment to it. So anything bad that happens, any criticism, anything that comes in your way that isn't perfect, you really take it personally and it's a real blow. But I actually think the quicker you can bounce back, the better. And I always say to people, you know, allow yourself some time to sulk, like take 12 hours if you need it, 24 hours, a weekend if you need it, but you've got to snap back out of it and keep going. And I think for all the criticism or any of the, negative feedback that I may have received growing foot being humble I've only ever used it to spark my want to prove them wrong and I think that's something that again it's it's hard to do in the moment but when you look back and you think no actually I'm going to show you and and I really do feel like I'm on that other side now because I think pre-pandemic I felt like when I talked about my business or even mentioned the name particularly in front of like creative people where it's like heaven forbid we promoted ourselves I felt like shunned it just the mention of the name so even before you get a chance to hear about all the amazing work I've do, I do and I'm helping people and all the amazing impact I'm making the name just immediately creates that barrier so I think that's something that you know 
perseverance is so important. Resilience is so important in that space when you are growing a challenger business because you are going to get immediate pushback. You're gonna, you will see it in their faces straight away. Like people don't even try and hide it. People literally dismiss you straight away. And I think it's super important that you know exactly why you're doing what you're doing. But also that you don't take these incidents personally. I had a situation where I was actually featured in the Financial Times and I got absolutely slammed. This uh, reporter had written that the title was Why Shameless Self-Promoters Aren't Welcome in My Inbox. Hadn't met me, hadn't interviewed me, didn't, hadn't been to any of my events. She'd just seen the title of my business and then wrote three paragraphs as to why what I was doing was a shambles, basically. And I actually present this at my event. So I do a talk on imposter syndrome and managing self-doubt. And I have to, I say to people, I'm like, criticism, rejection, it's all inevitable. The most popular people, the most confident people in the world, they all get it. And I was like, what I had to do was build resilience. That moment I could, obviously, the first first two hours, I was like, dad, dad, why did this happen? (laughs) But after that, it was like a real reckoning that it was like well this isn't going to be the first person I'm going to come up against and I've got to make a decision on how I handle this these situations moving forward so I think that was it was a really big again that happened within the first three months of growing fuck being humble so that could have been something that literally sent me downhill and made me go oh there's no point in doing this this was way before the book I hadn't even run an event at this point so Everything I was gearing up to do could have easily just melted down. But I think that's why knowing your purpose and why you're doing what you're doing is so important because there are people that I say the name to and they go, thank you so much. Like I immediately resonate with that. And they're the people I have to focus on. So I think learning how to cope with criticism, rejection, all of those things, it massively builds your resilience. And I I honestly think it's one of the most important skills to have because there are going to be setbacks. It is naive to think that there won't be. And it's just about how you navigate them in the moment. Such wise advice. You mentioned purpose and your why. What is your why? And for our peers out there listening who don't know what their why is and they're just not sure what they want to do with their lives, what would be your advice on finding your purpose or your why? It's going to sound really cheesy, But obviously my background is in advertising. And one of the things that I noticed really quickly when I worked in advertising was like, I didn't want to work on big campaigns for Nike and McDonald's and all these big brands. I was like, I genuinely want to work on stuff that's going to have an impact on the world. And that, that isn't that common. Like when I was going through the ad industry over the past 10 years, most people wanted to work on the glossiest, biggest budgets, all of that. But I genuinely was like, I always looked at like water aid campaigns or, you know, UN women or anything that like had genuine purpose and impact. I was so drawn to. And I think that's partly why I move so regularly in my jobs, because I was constantly seeking out this wanting to work on more purposeful work, wanting to have an impact. And the reality was I got to the point where I thought that actually I can only do that if I create my own brand. The reason I give that context is I think so many of us get so scared about this word purpose and we think it has to be so epic and so big and so meaningful. And I think what I've really distilled my own purpose down to is just storytelling for good. So I love speaking. I love telling stories, but I want there to be a positive impact. So this year I launched a second business called This Might Help, which is about supporting people who are going through mental health issues. So how do you help other people through depression, anxiety, sexual assault, all of those things, if you have no idea how to navigate that. And that, again, is a completely different tone, completely different lens. It's in the mental health space. 
but it's still storytelling for good. And I think about all the other business ideas that I have. It's the common ground. It's storytelling, but to make a positive impact or to help people in some way. And it doesn't have to be any more profound than that. I think we we feel like we have to go on these like big epic holidays and find <laughs> ourselves and you know travel the world love. And, you know do all of that and and I don't I don't think it has to be I think one of the best ways to identify your purpose is essentially what do you really love doing the most what brings you joy where does that spark come from what what are you like honestly most excited to do and what legacy do you want to leave in the world so that's one of the questions I ask a lot of people in my events you know what headline would you love to be written about you in the newspaper or in your favorite, you know, media platform, like what legacy, what do you want your grandkids to say about you? And that's absolutely fine if making epic Nike campaigns is one of them. Like it, it is like, it, you know, it doesn't have to be worthy. You know, my partner is a product designer and he wants to make beautiful, simple and elegant things. That's his purpose. Great. Like he wants to not use as much waste and minimize how many products we have and make sure that we're using less, but they're still as functional cool. You're not saving lives with that, but you're also doing what you want to do. And I think we get so caught up in it needing to be this profound, epic, life-changing statement when really it's combining what you want to do, what you enjoy doing. And I, I believe the legacy you want to leave, because I think that's where you look back at it more as a, right, this isn't, I have to achieve this right now in this moment. This is, I've got my entire life to try and work towards this thing. How am I going to do that? Mm. And how do we gain the courage to go off and do it? I think there's one thing to know, okay, this is what I like. This is, I think, how I want to make an impact. This is what's going to make me happy in the long term and hopefully make others happy. But it's so hard to actually follow through with that, Steph. Like how do we go about gaining the courage to kind of live by our purpose and why? So I actually wrote about this in my book. Mm. Um, I called it the lack of confidence cycle. Mm. And there's three stages. So there's the the class A clinger, where you cling on to a situation that doesn't serve you. You hate every minute of it. You don't know why you're doing it, but you've lost all your confidence to leave it. A little bit like me in that first job. The second one is where the F do I start? Which is, okay, I know I need to change something. I've downloaded every inspirational podcast you can think of. I'm pretty much Oprah right now with all the inspirational <laughs> content I've got but I genuinely just don't know what I need to do to put pen to paper to make a change. And then the third stage is the procrastinating perfectionist where you keep procrastinating, you keep saying, oh, I'm nearly there, but it just needs to be perfect. And I can't say this until you, and it's the continuous loop and you actually never share or do anything because you're trying to be perfect. So that's sort of a cycle that I observed amongst friends and people that I've sort of helped throughout the years. And the reason I start by saying that is because I think so often to make that step, we think it has to be, I'm flipping my life and I'm going to change everything tomorrow. And then all of a sudden we start freaking out. So I, again, another sort of phrase that I coined that I, I observed is PLF, which is pre-launch fear. So just before you're about to launch a business, a podcast, a product, you go into meltdown mode. You start questioning everything that's wrong with not not just your business, but your life as well. So it's like, why have I not got a partner? Why am I not married? I don't own a house. All completely irrelevant, but we go down this spiral, right? It's so so true, right? Because this is like, this is what we do. And it's so unfair on ourselves. And I think the best advice I can give to people is honestly, small steps 
like the smaller the steps that you don't freak yourself out, the better. So literally just like time-based activities can make such a difference. So, okay, you've got 10 minutes today. What is 10 minutes? Let's say you want to write a book. What is 10 minutes an activity that you can do that could go towards writing a book? So you literally might just search for publishers. That's it. You're not, you're not writing a 30 page proposal, just search for publishers. Okay. What could you do in 20 minutes? And one of the things that I've realized that's really helped me with this as well is I'm such a geek, but I have like a spreadsheet where I like an air table where I sort of add it in. And I sort of also say, how long will I need for that task? And where do I need to be to do it? So can I do this on the train when I'm commuting for 10 minutes? Can I, do I need to be at home? If I'm recording a webinar, I need to be at home in a silent room with a camera sort of thing. But if I'm finding brands that could sponsor my next event, I can be doing that on the train platform waiting for a train. So I think also just like being quite considerate and fair with your time. Something that I learned whilst growing up being home as a side hustle whilst working in advertising. It was a side hustle for two years. I was working a full-time job. I got a book deal and had eight months to write my book whilst doing all of that. And the ad industry is not known for working your nine to five, you know, like it's long hours. I was traveling with work as well. There was so much going on. And I had to realize that I can't do everything at the capacity that I want to do it at because there's so much other things going on. And I think this is true for so many people. So Monday to Friday after work between the hours of eight and 10, what can I realistically do? Like setting realistic goals is so important because all you do by setting unrealistic goals is make yourself feel crap at the end of the day. So the only person who loses in that dynamic is is you and you, you end up knocking your own confidence because you're expecting too much. So I think one of the best things you can realize when you're pursuing your own dream or your own purpose or building your own business or project is that you control that. When you work for a company, you don't get to control that thing. But when you're following your own thing, you control the hours you put in. You control the energy you put in. You know, all of that is down to you individually. So I think those time-based tasks where you're like, okay, at least today I know I've done 25 minutes working towards that dream. You can go to bed going, at least I did that one little thing. And it doesn't have to always be, like I said, the most epic thing. For me, when I was writing my book, I would only write on a Saturday. So every Saturday I'd write. There's no point writing midweek. It wasn't going to be good. Like there was no point forcing myself to do that. So I think understanding your own energy levels, where you've got capacity, but also just like it's setting realistic goals because this dream and this purpose of yours will become sort of a distant idea to you if you're not following it in a way that is genuinely achievable and I think that's why it's really useful I always say I don't really I don't really set targets I don't say this year I'm going to do this or in my five-year plan is this I just have dreams so I have a big mind map where I've got loads of dreams I'm like wouldn't that be epic wouldn't that be cool so that I've put them somewhere I know they're there they're in my sort of like vicinity and I can see them and they're visible but I'm not saying this year is going to be a bad year if you don't do this. And and I think that's been a really, one of the things I've realized as a founder is if I achieve something once, I don't pressure myself to have to do it again. And I say to myself, you know, this is epic and this is great. And if it happens again, great. But if it doesn't, just savor this. This is something I've, I've really realized this year, actually. And that's why I don't live in this constant shadow of like, you should be doing more. Why haven't you done this? I think it's a real big game changer with your mindset to be able to say, I'm really happy and I'm grateful that this has happened. If it happens again, I'm so happy. 
But if it doesn't, then I'll just be really grateful for, for it happening in the first place. And I think that's something that when you're finding your purpose and when you're navigating these things, it's like those small steps to that, that big dream is, is all you can really do because we can't, we can't write our own stories. We don't always know the end result. You can only know that you tried your best to get as close to that point as possible. Such valuable advice. When was a time where you felt like you really tried your best, but the result just wasn't what you wanted it to be? I'm thinking of literally about like a week ago for me, but, you know, I'd love to hear for you. Was there ever a time where you just felt like, ah, oh, done? Oh, so many. Oh, so many. So many. Oh, the failures. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, to be really honest, I, I haven't had huge epic failures as a business touch wood which I'm right we don't have any wood around but over there um which I am really glad about and I want to be honest about because mm. I don't want to be like oh you know this happened because I, I ha- it hasn't yet or hopefully mm. won't happen so I got the opportunity to exhibit at DNAD festival in the UK which is a big London creative festival and it was for their new blood category which is helping graduates get jobs and all these things And I sort of convinced them to give me a stand. And again, it was before really the first year of growing for being humble. No one really knew. It was still in its infancy. And I'd gone all out. I'd got like these posters. It was like the most I'd spent on my business at this point. I'd got postcards, posters. I'd like, you know, I'd got my boyfriend to come help me set up this stand. And it all looked great. And people coming around, they were taking photos. It was quite a provocative message at this big conference. And on the like second day or maybe the third day and I was there for three days my friend came and was like you've spelt your um your your brand name (laughs) (laughs) and it wasn't like awfully bad but there's an asterisk where the f word is and so I try and um you know just just because I don't necessarily like the way that the the actual word is spelled so I put the asterisk in to soften it and I'd not spell it with the asterisk so I'd like whilst it was a great message and again only really I would notice it I was like, I've literally exhibited for the past two days and I've misspelt my own brand name. Like, and I'd also, there were spelling mistakes all over the postcards and stuff. Naturally. And I think it's like, it's so like minor. And, and that's why I say it's not like an epic failure. Nothing bad happened. But I think one of the nice parts of that story and the reason I wanted to share it today is that I carried on putting those posters at all my events. So I kept that one up with the spelling mistakes. And I every time I saw it, I just smiled and I was like, this is just the reminder that I'm not going to be perfect and I don't need to be and the whole world isn't going to fall down. Nobody is going to say you're not a successful business or you can't be taken seriously because of that one mistake. And I think that was like a real moment. Again, maybe these things happen early for me that I grow this thick skin and go, well, you know, that's not as bad. I don't take this personally. But I think that experience, I put so much effort into it and I was like, I worked in advertising. I had to like proofread copy all the time it was in like the point size was like 200 like how did I miss that I'd misspelled it so badly but again it's just not that deep and I like I think when you can get to that point where you're like do you know what unless you are literally saving lives like shout out to the NHS for that unless you are literally doing that all the stuff these mistakes that we make they can only add to your personality and your character like don't take it personally don't let it be the thing that like gets in your way moving forward I love that Was there a time where you took a mistake or a criticism really personally? And if so, for our peers out there listening who feel like they're not there yet, they don't have that thick skin that you have, Steph, or, you know, they don't have the experience that you have and they're just feeling a bit down when people 
pick at them. You know, what advice would you give to us? One of the nice things that I can say to a lot of people is whilst you may experience them more on a personal level, sadly, I've experienced them on a public level. So, um, again, I was very fortunate to be interviewed by The Times when I was first starting Fuck Being Humble. And I basically got interviewed by this journalist. And one of the things she asked me to do was essentially she asked me to review her self-promotion online. And I said, okay. And I'd like got there and she wasn't doing that great online, but she was lovely in person and she was like really chatty. And one of the things I said was, look, here in person, you've got such a great personality, but like online, you've got no personality. It's not coming through. Like you need to work on these things, blah, blah, blah. And when the article came out, it opened with, you've got no personality, says Stephanie Sword-William. And my heart just dropped. And it was it was a two-page spread in a newspaper and online. And this whole article, and I, I completely get it now from a story perspective. It took the journey on a narrative, the viewer on a narrative that, is this right? You know, is F being humble, saying and doing the right things? Like, blah, blah, blah. And by the very end paragraph, it was like, I actually think she's doing a great job. She's going to go on and do amazing things. And like, I really, really appreciate that journalist for the sort of springboard that that article gave me for sure. But the comments were savage. And like, I've never, everybody says don't read the comments. And it really is that, that just don't read it. They were like, God, I wish you'd have done your due diligence. God, I wish you'd have done your research on this one. Um, she's, there were pets on Instagram with more followers. <laughs> But I'd only been running the business for like a month. Yeah, so I'd literally got fine. so I had like yeah. two or three hundred followers. Yeah, and I was correct. totally fine about that. Yeah. But they were like, there are pets with more followers, which to be fair, there are. There are loads <laughs> of pets. Still to this day, there's pets with more followers than me. There were just all these horrible comments that I had to wade through. And it was really tough. It was really tough because you're like, especially at the start of a project. And that's why I say like, it's so important to know what you measure what good looks like. And that's what I would say to you is that in both that instance and the financial times, I was getting ripped to shreds by people that didn't know me, that people hadn't experienced any of the content. They hadn't come to my events. They hadn't read the book. They, you know, they hadn't done any of those things. So really, once you take your emotional perspective out of it, your rational mind has got to tell you, they, you can't take this stuff personally. And I think there will obviously be instances where you experience criticism and and there is a personal thing and maybe there is a connection. I think there's a really great TED talk by Sheila Heen where she says, she talks about wrong spotting in feedback and criticism where we constantly look for reasons to find, you know, reasons for why this person's wrong in the criticism. We wrong spot. When actually whilst 90% of what they're saying could be wrong, 10% of it could be true and it could be what you need to grow. And that I've really held on to ever since of that anytime I get a piece of feedback or criticism or something that I don't love, I've got to like, let my ego be a little bit bruised, but then let that 10% come through and go, is there a tiny bit of this that could provide you with a level of awareness, a level of understanding of someone else's, you know, expectations or experiences that could actually make what you're doing better. And I think whilst it's never enjoyable to get criticism and it's never easy to take, it's really important to, first of all, know what good looks like for you and know how you're measuring your success and whose opinions you want to take from, but also allow yourself to take on that feedback even if you hate what's being said. And, you know, some of the things that, you know, why these shameless self-promoters aren't welcome in my inbox, I kind of use that to my advantage. I actually say like, look, I know people feel 
self-promotion is shameless, but here's why. You know, so I think kind of like we very often we look at bad experiences, we put them in a box under our bed and we never go there again. But reality is we can't really move on from, from that. And all that does is like linger, build up in our body, creates a level of anxiety, creates a level of stress. You end up being quite short or sassy about it and you don't really know why. And it's because you've not actually accepted that that thing happened and you need to move on. And it's it's part of your armor. It's part of what makes you who you are but it doesn't have to be the defining factor and it doesn't have to be the last word. It doesn't have to be the only narrative about you. Like all of these things that are presented to you, all of this information, and trust me, I've had a lot with my business. I've had a lot of unsolicited advice. I've had a lot of men message me on LinkedIn from middle America telling me what I should and shouldn't be doing. And all of it can only fuel the direction you want to go in. Whilst it absolutely sucks in the moment, I get it. I really, really get it. It's one of those things that you have to kind of push through and go, do I want to let this define me and hold me down or do I want to let this be the thing that drives me forward? Quote right there. Amazing. So look, Steph, thank you so much for that. I've just, I was nodding along the entire time. I am mindful of your time though right here today. So I'm going to start to wrap up with two final questions for you. But before we do... I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you, Steph, for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing, for showing us, you know, in particularly us ambitious, young, millennial women, that if we have that goal, that vision and that dream, we actually can go out and make it happen. We can scream it from the rooftops. We don't have to hide beneath the covers and it's all okay. And for that, we really appreciate you. No, oh, thank you. Oh, course. <laughs> So the second last question is, what are three key pieces of advice that you would give our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out? Oh, a great question. So the first thing is, don't let anybody else tell you what you're capable of doing. So I think I let that affect me quite early on in a job. And someone was like, no, no, you should definitely do this because this is where your skills are. And actually, I don't know if there was an element of competition. I don't know what the dynamic was, but I took a route throughout my entire career based on that. And I look back now and I think, I wish I hadn't listened to you. Wish I had that. So I would not let anybody tell you what you are capable of doing. And that's at any point in life because every year you change. Every year we can become different people. Every year we can learn something new. So never let anyone else tell you what you're capable of doing. I would say be unapologetically proud of your achievements. I think there's such a stigma around this. And I, I suppose what I mean by that is like, there will always be a place to be humble. And it is so important that I emphasize, of course, I believe in humility. Of course, I believe in that. What I hate to see is people being so modest, they miss out on opportunities. So please, please remember that when you get the chance to speak up, you own that room. You get to do that. You know, please don't wait to be invited, you know, literally fuck being humble and tell people how good you are don't hold yourself back don't live in regret don't worry about what other people are going to say because ultimately everyone's so focused on themselves that actually it is so important that you are unapologetically proud of your achievements because you work so hard to get that praise so when you then get that praise and you deny it for yourself or you don't talk about it you're just the one losing at the end and I think the final piece of advice I'd give is keep a handle on those dreams, but don't be a prisoner to them. 
So I think one of the things that we can do is that we choose a subject at school, we go and study at university, we are pressured by our parents to do certain things or by society. And then you have an awakening at 25, at 30, at 40, at 50 and go, I no longer want to do this. And you don't feel you're able to change because you don't want people to think you're flippant or people won't take you seriously, all those things. But I just think like, don't be a prisoner of the dreams you made when you were 16. Cause like, I used to say I wanted to be a wag and thank God I've grown out of that one. You know, like I got a backup plan and it's worked out quite well. (laughs) We change so regularly that it's unfair on yourself to say to you that you have to stay in that same position always. I mean, the past few years have shown us, if anything, how easy it is to reinvent ourselves. All the amazing resources online, all the courses. Like I run a side hustle school to teach people how to run side hustle. And 700 people have gone through that. And it was a real signaling to me that, yeah, people do want to have that ability to move and shift if they want to. And there should be no shame in that. So I think, you know, keep checking in on what those dreams are and it's okay if they evolve and they're changing and maybe they're changing with who you're becoming and maybe that doesn't always align with the person you were before or the people you hang out with but that's also okay for you to go find new sets of people that are going to support you on that journey so yeah I think they would be my three pieces of advice just so so good Steph before I ask you the final question I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. It's been absolutely awesome to chat with you. I know I've taken away so many gems of wisdom from you and I know our peers out there listening have too. So thank you so much. And the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? I think never living in regret. So there's an author called Daniel Pink who's just released a book that looks at regrets. And he says one of the biggest regrets is boldness regret. Wishing I should have done that thing. Wishing I'd spoke up. Wishing I'd have done that. And so many people live in that. And I know, I like I said this recently, someone like, not that I ever want this to happen, but if I got hit by a car tomorrow, I'd know that I'd really pursued my dreams and there's, there's no regrets. Literally no regrets. Like, of course, there's things that, I may have said differently or done differently, but I won't wake up in 20 years time going, I undersold myself. Like I did the complete opposite, actually. (laughs) Probably sold myself too much. But I think, you know, I think it's, yeah, it's it's that never living in regret, never Mm. worrying about what if. That's, That's the absolute beauty of pursuing the thing that you're most passionate about is that you will never question, is there more to life because you're living that life. Oh, Steph, thank you so much. We've had an absolute blast. What a way to start our 2022 London podcast tour. Oh, my goodness. To all our peers out there listening, thank you so much for tuning in, as always. And stay tuned for the upcoming episodes and more from London. Thank you so much, Steph. Thank you so much. It's been so nice to chat. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial.
Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.